Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Always good to hear the voice of Astros PA Bob Ford, who opens the show for us every week. If you're new and you're wondering, where have I heard that voice before? Yep, that's Bob Ford. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. If you're a first timer, we welcome you. And this is Robert along with my new co-host, Stephen Kerr. Before we get going, uh, just a quick reminder that I had a conversation with Stephen Sakach, who runs the biggest Lakers fan website, sort of their clutch fans. I got his take on the Westbrook trade and the Rockets. We also talked about the new look Western Conference and how the Rockets might be the new villains of the NBA. That podcast went up on Friday. Anything from our conversation, Stephen, that struck you? Well, I, I think he covered a lot of ground. I, I think he he certainly has got an interesting season to look forward to. I guess he keeps up a lot with the Lakers, but uh, nothing really jumps out at me. But uh, I, I think he had some great takes on the Rockets now. Uh, one thing that a lot of people have been talking about, uh, and you guys included over the last week, is whether Mike D'Antoni is going to make sweeping changes in the Rockets' offense with the addition of Russell Westbrook. Well, if you're looking for that to happen, don't hold your breath or your face might turn blue because uh, he's been on uh, several, like, well, he's been on the Woj podcast, I know, and uh, I believe he was on one of the uh, local Houston radio stations. And uh, what he said on the Woj podcast, the offense might get a little tweak here and there, but otherwise not much changes in order. I do agree with one point that he made, at least partially, when he was addressing the criticism that the Rockets have been known to be too much of an ISO team, not enough ball movement. He says, well, some teams get a little too pass-happy, a bit pelter-skelter. Well, that may be true, but I would also argue that great teams like the Warriors find a way to balance the two, especially in the postseason. But it doesn't look like Dan Tony, even though, you know, he didn't get a new contract, but uh, he's going into this year thinking, well, and hey, we might tweak a little bit here, tweak a little bit there. But otherwise, I'm, I'm still going to let the players shoot when they want to shoot. Everything worked perfectly last year, Steve. Why would you change anything? I mean, you know, James Harden dominated the ball. Russell Westbrook dominated the ball. Both teams did great. They were in the Western Conference Finals, Championship Finals, right? Is that Did I get that right? Yeah, something like that. Maybe you're thinking of the year before. (laughs) And you're also forgetting the first 25 games of this past season when things really weren't working so well. Uh, Yeah, they worked the rest of the the regular season, but then you got in the postseason and uh, you stopped short because you had those Warriors in the way once again. Yeah, I'm not agreeing with D'Antoni. Let's just run it back. The way things have been going have just been perfect. And the way these guys have played their whole career is – Got him a number of championships. No, no, that, that hasn't worked. And, and he also was quoted as saying, I think Russell Westbrook, knowing he has the green light, will help him. To which I say, didn't Tony seen him play, right? Uh, he- Isn't that the problem? <laughs> Isn't that the whole problem is when Russell Westbrook has the green light, he tends to take poor shots. Isn't that one of the issues that we've been talking about? They don't seem to be listening to our show, Robert. <laughs> I don't know. And I'm, but, I'm, uh, wondering, <laughs> I'm wondering at that point, you know, D'Antoni is, uh, there's been some question marks from at least Daryl Morey's perspective that maybe he's not the guy and, and maybe this type of stuff has come up in conversation and Daryl's like, you're still not going to change a, a little bit or something, or we're going to go just do what we've been doing and it's going to work now. It hadn't worked, you know, before I just don't quite understand what D'Antoni has taught. Cause if I'm Dan- Mike D'Antoni, you know, hey, we're going to do a lot of different changes. And even if you just tweak stuff, 
you pretend that you're going to change some things, right? Well, see, here's the thing. I would think that with Daryl Morey and Tillman Fertitta sending the message of not giving him a new contract, if I were Mike D'Antoni, that'd be a message to me that either I need to change my style or, you know, maybe Mike D'Antoni, he's got enough money saved up that he figures I'll coach one more year with the Rockets and they'll probably let me go and I'll either move on to another team or I'll just retire and be happy. So he, he obviously is so convinced that his system will work just the way it is that that must be the mentality he's going into is look, I mean, you know, we might make a little tweak here and there, but I don't need to change anything. We've got Westbrook. Now we can take that extra step next year, but Hey, Robert, he's getting some collaboration on that because according to James Harden, no adjustments need to be made as far as he's concerned. When you have great talent like him and Westbrook, you just put those two on the floor and it all works itself out. It's going to be a fairy tale ending, according to James Harden. So, yeah, Harden also said that he's got a new move next year that will look like a travel, but won't be one. And well, that sounds familiar, James. <laughs> yeah, that's what he's been criticized for, I, I think most of his game. Yeah, I'm sure NBA fan will be fine with all that. Just a, another move that we can go after James Harden. And, you know, like we talked about, Stephen, I mean, they are the villains now. They're NBA's version of, you know, the Joker and Batman. Everybody loves to hate them right now. Well, if they weren't before, they certainly are now with Westbrook because you've got two guys that have the, oh, uh, you haven't won a championship rap. Oh, uh, you, you play selfish basketball rap. I don't know, but I, I still have a little bit of optimism that at least this first year, just like it did with Chris Paul when he was traded to the Rockets, that maybe they will go a little bit further than we think. It's the years beyond that that I kind of wonder about. You know, maybe the window is now. Maybe the Rockets had better get it done this next year with the West as wide open as it apparently will be. Because I, I really think, I mean, with so many teams making all these moves and supposedly getting better. Let's be honest, Robert, something's going to happen. There's either going to be a major injury to one of these teams or some of the, the players are not going to play quite up to the, the hype. You know, you can only have so many teams in the top four or five positions. And I still think the Rockets are in the top four or five, but I really think what they need to do is get home court advantage all the way through. That, that's what I think they need to do if they're going to have a chance to win the whole thing. And that opportunity is there for them. I mean, the other teams are going to come out of the gate uh, trying to get their chemistry together. You would assume it just doesn't happen automatically. Uh, some some injuries, of, of course, we've mentioned uh, with Paul George, uh, with the Clippers, he's going to miss the first month. So, you know, right. that, that, that'll definitely be a part of the equation. You know, some te- I got to get some some Texans news before we get to the Astros. And we haven't talked, yet, talked about anything with the Astros Really, uh, for the last week, there was a brief thing that maybe you want to touch on, Stephen, with the Astros that uh, I hit on with uh, Stephen Sakach. But uh, the Texans stuff, uh, just real quick, you know, it scares you when you first hear something like this. They've placed three players on the active pup list, and you might have heard of these guys. DeAndre Carter, well, maybe you don't know him. So, well, he was the wide receiver in the slot last year that uh, did a decent job. But the next two guys, J.J. Watt, DeAndre Hopkins, does that concern you at all, Steven? I mean, they didn't participate in OTAs. Maybe this shouldn't be a surprise, but it's they got to make you a little bit antsy when you hear J.J. Watt, DeAndre Hopkins still aren't ready to go, and we're like a month away from the first 
uh, was it the maybe a one, less than a month away from the first? Uh... Really less than a month because training camp starts this coming week. But uh, yeah, yeah, I I saw that, and I just have to wonder, you know, with JJ Watt, I think he had some scope done on his knee back in January, and uh, of course DeAndre Hopkins having that shoulder injury in the the wild card game last year. You know, at least in the, in the case of Hopkins, you would think that he would be over that by now, that he would be healthy. But maybe it's more of a precautionary thing. Because, you know, last year, I mean, they hardly played Deshaun Watson during the preseason. They, they hardly, you, you didn't see J.J. Watt then either. Maybe it's just more of a precautionary type of situation. I have to hope. But speaking of hope, Robert, I just, I don't, I don't feel a lot of hope coming into this Texan season. You know, normally I'm excited because, hey, football's coming. They're going to training camp. It's the preseason coming up. But I just, I can't get excited about the Texans this year with their tough schedule. They, they, to me, they haven't really repaired the offensive line. You have Chantrell Henderson coming back, but he can't stay healthy. They, their first round draft choice was a guy that we've never heard of at a school we barely heard of. No big, you know, real great free agent signings at, at any position. Deontay Foreman is still a question mark. You know, De- DeAndre Hopkins, is, is he going to be coming back healthy? Will Fuller, Kiki QT, can they play a season without getting hurt? Can Deshaun Watson, it, it, is he going to need to wear one of those flat jackets that Dan Pastorini wore back in the 70s? I don't know that they've really upgraded the secondary. There are just so many question marks with the Texans going into this year. Maybe I'm just a pessimist, but I just don't feel like we have a whole lot to look forward to. I'm just not that excited about it. Maybe you've just watched the Texans over the last few years and you've watched. Well, I have, as a matter of fact. <laughs> and Sabil O'Brien. And, 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 you know, they also put uh, third round rookie Kahale wearing on the active non-football injury list. So I don't know what that's all about. That's just like another little thing, another little tweak. And, you know, it, it, I, I don't know. I, I, I just I would like to see the Texans relatively healthy going into the season because uh, if nothing else, it should be, it should be fun with Deshaun Watson. If he could get at least one of his two receivers that he didn't get to play with much last year in QT and Will Fuller going. And if you get both of them going and you get, you know, Hopkins back and I'm, I, I got to assume this is not anything to be too concerned about. I haven't heard uh, any, anything, you know, dire about Deandre Hopkins health uh, over the last a few months. So uh, you you just hope that if you could get those guys all in the field at the same time, you know, that sounds like it could be fun. The defense is, there's a lot of question marks on the defense outside the linebacking core. Linebacking core would seem to be okay. As long as Clowney is halfway motivated in this kind of season on the brink for him with the, uh, with the contract that he didn't get, but it should be interesting. And then you got Texans training camp, which starts, uh, like we said, this is, Thursday. It'll start 9, 10 a.m. every day from Thursday to Monday until their first uh, day off. I think that's the first five straight days. The open practice dates for fans interested. If you want to go out there, uh, I think there might be some sort of lottery for this one. So it's August 1st, 3rd, 10th, 14th, and 15th. Uh, you need to get on that quickly if you want to you get tickets for uh, Texans training camp. And Steven, I've been there Man, the last few years, pretty much every single year and most days the last few years, and there are moments of fun, but you got to be able to take the heat because it's hot out there. Well, that's right. And, you know, they're not going back to West Virginia, so uh, they are going to have to take the heat or get out of the kitchen, as they say. But uh, did, did you ever get to go to West Virginia in the couple of years they were there? 
Uh, unfortunately, no. It's it's a trip that you look into and you go, well, I've got to fly either to this place or this place, and that's going to be expensive. And then you got to drive several hours. I mean, they put that thing right. Yeah, it's not very convenient for sure. Yeah, it's in the middle of nowhere. Uh, let's see. You know, I asked Twitter if if they would be willing to include, and let's let's talk Astros. I asked them if they'd be willing to include Carlos Correa in a deal for Jacob Degrom or Max Scherzer. The Nationals are still in it, so I don't believe Scherzer goes anywhere, Stephen. But would you be willing to deal Carlos Correa for Jacob Degrom? Is that something that you've even thought about? No, that's not something I've thought about. Uh, my immediate answer, I would say, would be no. Uh, you know, Jacob deGrom, he's, he's been a bit up and down, and I, I just, yeah. but then so is Correa. I don't know, but if you think about it a little bit longer, maybe it does make a little bit of sense, you know, because Correa's health is really his big question mark, or his durability, I guess. Uh, you know, he, his hitting hasn't been, maybe, it's been decent when he's been in there. I don't know, you, you think about it a little bit more, maybe it does make a little bit of sense, but my my first Immediate thought, oh, no, you wouldn't trade Carlos Correa, would you? Here's the deal, though. I mean, you seriously have to start thinking about how you're going to fit all this money in. And do you want to spend more money on Carlos Correa? Now, it's not at the end of this year. It's not at the end of next year. But we're only just over two years away where Correa's contract is over with. He's somebody that I don't get the sense that, you know, he doesn't seem like somebody that's married to the city of Houston. His idol, Derek Jeter, Yankees. Uh, I guess that means he was a Yankees fan growing up. If he's a Jeter fan, he had to be a Yankees fan, right? And then right, right. you also have to look at, you know, his health. You got to look at, do you want to spend that kind of money, the kind of money that he's going to want? They're they're not going to him and his agent Scott Boris. They're not going to be willing to sign him. I think to a early extension, a la Alex Bregman or Jose Altuve. So, do you trust? Carlos and Correa and his agent to be interested in the Astros to want to stay and how much are you willing to pay, pay him. And, and you've got the back injury and you've got Alex Bregman who can play shortstop and you've got Garrett Cole, who's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. You don't really want to let Garrett Cole walk away because then you got Justin Verlander. Who's got a year left on his contract and what, what else do you got? And there's not another guy that I think is going to be available in, in in this uh, this trade period, Stephen, and correct me if I'm wrong, th- that is an ace. That's a Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander type of player. I, I don't think Bauer becomes available because the Indians are still a, uh, a, a wild card team. So that that's my concern. I, I've got a lot of concerns with the idea that you're just going to be able to keep Carlos Correa in two years, and and if you get another guy that's a lockdown guy like a Verlander. Um, you can go into next year and say, we're right there again in case you lose Garrett Cole, because there's no extension coming for Garrett Cole in the next couple of months. No, there's not. And, and, and I would be more concerned with signing Garrett Cole than I would be Carlos Correa. I, I agree with you in part. I don't know that the Astros will keep Carlos Correa, but I think I, I think they would wait a little bit to trade him. I don't know that I would trade him right now. I mean, first of all, he's he's still out, so... You know, depending on when he comes back, I, I would I would say maybe next year, if things are still looking kind of so-so for him, you know, and looking down the line. And, of course, the history of Scott Boras, you're talking about, you know, loyalty to the city of Houston. All you have to do is go back to 2004. We talked about this on the previous show. 
with another Carlos, Carlos Beltran. And he can tell you that Scott Boris had, had no intention of having Carlos Beltran sign with the Astros. So I don't think it's, I don't think it's as far fetched as it may seem when you first bring it up about Correa being traded. I just don't know that I would do it yet. I think I would wait maybe till the year before perhaps and, and see what you can get out of him, you know, because you, you really, I know that, that, you know, Miles Straw has been doing pretty well at shortstop. They're, they're kind of training him for that position. Alex Bregman could play shortstop. So it's not like you would be totally void of a shortstop if you lost Carlos Correa permanently. 60% of Twitter said they wouldn't trade Correa. Uh, I, I pretty much. Mm. Uh, that's thought, lower than I would have expected. That, that's kind of a, a, probably in the area that, that I was expected. Uh, you know, you, so you thought you, a lot more people would say they wouldn't trade Correa. I, I, thought, I thought it would be like 80%. Yeah, you, you kind of got to give the Astros fans some credit because I think they're they're seeing the writing maybe on the wall down the road. But uh, yeah, it, it's a it's a something I just thought about. Um, I, I heard also bandied about a little bit and just thought well, that's that's worth uh, thinking about. Uh, Kyle Tucker is being moved over to first base. If he's still untradeable. I mean, what are the Astros willing to trade? I mean, we're coming up to the deadline. What are you looking at as we come up to the deadline, Stephen? Well, I mean, you still have, I, I don't know, that Derek Fisher may be an option if they're not going to trade Kyle Tucker. I mean, you, the thing is, if you're going to get a really good, even a third starting pitcher, you're going to have to trade one of those valuable assets, whether it's a Kyle Tucker, a, a Derek Fisher, or, you know, you might find somebody in the double A and the single A that, kind of jumps out at a scout perhaps maybe not a fan but yeah i think that nobody i mean the astros certainly don't want to part with a lot of their top flight players uh, you know before this year you would say that forrest whitley and kyle tucker both were untouchable i don't know how you can say that now of course whitley has had a down year so yeah what do you what do you give up if you want that third starter that you're looking for I don't know how you, you can't give up because, you know, Springer's coming up for free agency, too. We haven't even talked about him. So the outfield may be crowded now, but it can go down in a hurry in the next couple of years. I guess Tucker, they moved him over to first base just to, you know, maybe give him a, some experience in case they need somebody. Because, you know, the, the whole Tyler White thing, we, we got to get to that. But Tyler White uh, likely gone from the Astros now. So you know, you, you need a, another first baseman in case something happens to Aledmus Diaz because you can't only have Yuli Gurriel on the roster. And, and it's obvious that they, they just don't have any confidence in Jordan. So, you know, it's just I, I think that was more of a this year. Uh, we're going to check it out. It's maybe an emergency move. I don't see them, you know, putting Kyle Tucker at first base, you know, for his career. Not permanently. Now, I think that move was actually made before Tyler White was released, it, it was actually made right after A.J. Reed was let go because even though he hasn't really been that much of an option on the major league roster just because he hasn't lived up to snuff, he was an option. He was mainly a first baseman. So you don't have him. Now you don't have White. So I think they're looking down the road. I'm not so sure this year. I mean, maybe. They, they played him, I think, a couple of games at first base, so it's still kind of in the early stages of the experiment, but that, that, that was one of the big reasons I think they're, they're trying him out at another position because it's another way that the Astros are trying to get their players to be more versatile. I mean, you've seen it with Miles Straw 
playing shortstop and you know, he can play a couple of the outfield positions. Now you're seeing it with Kyle Tucker. Uh, so the Astros are just trying to diversify as much as possible with the players that either they have on the roster or in the farm system. Before I get to Tyler White, just give give people something to think about because a name that you just you will not uh, stop hearing about until he gets dealt as Madison Bumgarner. And in, in case you want him on the Astros, just looked up these numbers and they jumped out. You got to keep in mind, he plays in the National League with no DH and in one of the most pitcher-friendly ballparks in baseball. So keep that in mind when you hear these numbers. His OPS against at home this year, basically other teams, their OPS against him, 685 at home. On the road, it's 816. So it's there's a major difference between the Bumgarner who's playing in San Francisco and the one that's playing everywhere else. And that's where you're going to be playing pretty much is everywhere else. And you also got to keep in mind that these numbers, and I looked them up for the previous year, were even uh, there was an even bigger disparity. Uh, this isn't, this last number, it, it's not much of a sample size. This is one career start at Minute Maid, just one. But in his one career start, he pitched, uh, his line was 6.2 innings, 11 hits and seven runs. Not, not tremendously good. I just, I don't have a whole lot of confidence. If that's the move that they make, there's a bunch of guys that they're going to probably have to deal with. They're going to have to give up prospects that they don't want to, they don't particularly want to give up, but now they, they've got, they've got themselves in a corner. I mean, Rogelio Armenteras had a really nice uh, couple of outings recently. So maybe you can put him as a starter Brad Peacock is still a wait and see. We have no idea what's going to happen with him, but you're going to be trusting Rahelio. Uh, you know, nice start by your Jose or KD. He had a good start the other day too, but again, a small sample size for these guys. Yeah, I was about to say or whatever. He's done it once once in a row. I mean, it's that's where the big concern is, Stephen. Because look, they got to get somebody, and it's just it's so unbelievable that this is the situation that you were in when you could have just signed Dallas Keuchel, not even at the beginning of the year, you could have signed him, you know, a month ago or a month and a half ago. And and he's been what Dallas Keuchel has been. If you look at his numbers uh, so far, he's been what he's been last year. And maybe the year before that, you know, he's, he's got an ERA in the threes. And if you look around major league baseball, if you look at the top 20 guys on an ERA and major league baseball, I mean, they're going into that mid threes and late threes area. You know, if you start going down the list, by the time you get to number 20, he's got a 3.40 ERA, and I'm talking about Sonny Gray. Uh, so right. I, I, I I don't know how you cannot be a little bit frustrated that the Astros didn't at least try to bring back Morton or Keuchel at this point when you're in this situation, and maybe they didn't bank on Pe- Peacock's injury, and maybe they hoped, you know, you, you hoped that one of the young guys were, was going to come on, but... It's just you can't bank on that stuff in baseball. We know that. My biggest complaint with Dallas Keuchel is that sometimes you just never know. It's, it's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get with him. You know, he had the great Cy Young year, and then the next year he he kind of fell on his face. He had a eh, pretty decent 2017. He kind of came on as the season went on when the Astros won the World Series. Last year, up and down, I, I would have taken – I would have – I really wish they hadn't let Charlie Morton get away. That's the one I would have held on to. Just because of the way Brent Strom worked with him, you know, got him to be the pitcher that he is now. And, you know, look what he's doing this year. So I, I would have opted if I if I could only have kept one of the two, I would have kept Morton over Keuchel. 
And how about this irony? Just, uh, you know, you look through the ERA and, and, and let's be clear. I mean, Jeff Luno has set you up great because you, you, you despite the fact that you're, you've got these holes in the four and five spot right now, uh, Cole, uh, right after Cole Hamels at, at 11 in ERA, Justin Verlander's number 12. Uh, and then Garrett Cole's number 16 and Wade Miley, who gets no respect, I think, from anybody anywhere, is number 18 in ERA at 3.25. So you got three guys in the top 18 in all of Major League Baseball. I mean, that that's pretty cool. Um, but it's funny because, like, you go down to 27, and there's Mike Fires, former Astro. And, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you, you got uh, uh, the guys that they're going after – you know, we've talked about Trevor Bauer earlier in the year, although that, like I said, I think that might be off the table now, uh, but he, he's down at 31. So uh, he's, he's not even good as a Mike fires right now, as excited as we would be maybe to get a Trevor Bauer. As far as his arm goes, I know people, a lot of people just don't like him personally. He would sure liven up the clubhouse if he was on the team. Would he not? I, I don't know how he'd fit in there just with some of the comments he's made and things like that. He's a little bit of a different, a different animal off the field than I think the Astros are used to. Number eight in ERA is Mike Miner. You got any interest in that guy after watching him with the Rangers? Hey, yeah, I might be interested in Miner. I don't know if the Rangers want to trade him to a Western division, a, a, a division foe like the Astros, but they might. All right, what's your favorite Tyler White memory? We've been waiting for this the whole show. I got one for you because I knew you were going to ask me this question. I actually have one for you. Go ahead. He hit a walk-off home run against the A's last year. That's what I got. <laughs> hey, and that was a huge deal. It was a, a momentum moment um, when you beat Oakland uh, because that that really helped you uh, solidify the AL West last year. And and look, you know, he's also got all these wonderful moments when I've seen him look at strike three. Uh, that, yeah, that's, there is that. There's... <laughs> with the bat on his shoulder. Because, you know, it, it just wash. I'm a washing memories with the Morgan Edsberg you know, uh, days, you know, just looking at strike three. I'm, I just, I think just, oh my God, I just miss Morgan Edsberg so much. I miss you, baby. Yeah. But just remember Morgan Edsberg provided more memories, I think, than Tyler White in the positive sense. This is true. Okay. He, <laughs> he had that one year where he was top five MVP guy. That, yes. that, that was nice. Yes. But Tyler White, good guy. You know, we wanted him to work out. 34th round draft choices. Great story. I mean, nobody believed in this guy all the way through. To get to get to where he's gotten is, is quite the thing. And, you know, Josh Reddick's wife, she wasn't real happy on Astros Twitter after, you know, he gets waived because of the reaction. And she said to all of you, and I'll bleep out the next word, but to all you blanks celebrating someone losing their job, I hope you never have to feel what it's like to move your whole life in the matter of just a few days. Best of luck to Tyler White on his next journey in this crazy baseball life. We love you. And so that was, that was Jet Reddick, Josh's wife. And, you know, uh, it, it, it's, it's going to be, you know, it's, it's frustrating that it didn't work out with him, but it, it's, it's now you got to find that new Astro to kick around. I don't know if it's going to be Hector Rendon, uh, Will Harris. I know for some people maybe, but, uh, and the, the thing that the middle relief is still a concern for me. It's still a concern. You know, I talked about this, uh, with you, Steven, I think it was last week, but just, I'm still worried about that because Josh James, you know, he comes out, he, he the, 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 on Sunday's game, I, you know, I, I don't know what's 
wrong with him, but I, I get worried because Josh James is one of those guys that throws 100 miles an hour, and those guys, you, when they work, they're great, but stuff can go wrong, especially earlier in, in their career. Yeah, we need to keep an eye on that situation. Apparently, A.J. Hinch took him out because the, the velocity of his fastball just went way down all of a sudden. And, of course, he had that quad injury in spring training, so we don't know if they just they saw something and it's just precautionary and they want to make sure. But it, it was obvious he was throwing, I think, I think one fastball was as low as like 89, and there were 92, 93, which doesn't sound like a huge drop, but for somebody like Josh James who – has that electric stuff, they, they obviously noticed, uh, noticed something. So that's going to be a situation to keep an eye on in the next day or two. Yeah, the middle relief, it, it has been up and down. I mean, it seems to be better of late. Uh, and even the two starters, Urquidy and Armenteros, they, they pitched pretty well. I mean, they certainly pitched better than the situation we had last week, and they were just getting torched. But again, it's just been such an up and down thing with that bullpen. Over the last week or so, they've actually been doing pretty well. You know, since uh, Jake Marisnik got nearly beamed after that night's game, the Astros are five and zero. How about that? Yeah, I was going to bring up the Marisnik thing, but uh, I just want to throw out another young pitcher that I just don't know if I want to hear more about him until next year or unless he's traded, and, and that's Forrest Whitley. You know, he had a Gulf Coast League rehab start, 2.2 innings, one hit, two runs, one earned run. Uh, None of that's terrible, but six walks and three wild pitches. Ah, I just don't want to hear about him for a while. Let's let him get more than like maybe a good couple of months together. And then we can talk about the Forrest Whitley future again. But Marisnik, I mean, you heard me talk a little bit about that situation with uh, Stephen um, on the last podcast, uh, what did you think about uh, the the latest with Marisnik this week, and and anything different than what we've talked about, or you know, just any angle that I that uh, you haven't heard explored quite enough? Well, I, of course, everybody's talking about how he kept his cool. I don't think he could have done any better than that. But to me, this just adds more evidence to the fact that his collision was unintentional. You know, he, he could have stared down the reliever, Noe Ramirez. He could have charged the mound, but he went to first base, tried to defuse the, the situation when it started to get out of hand. Now, here's the thing. I'm not crazy about this, quote, unquote, unwritten rule of taking revenge. I know it's an old baseball concept, but the Angels clearly didn't go about it the right way. And, and here's the other thing is, so you're not supposed to slide hard into second base anymore. You're not supposed to collide with the catcher. but you think it's okay to throw at a player's head or near it and then justify it by saying, oh, well, it's just that unwritten rule that uh, we're sending him a message. I mean, come on, I, that, that just makes no sense to me. At least MLB did the right thing. They didn't turn a blind eye to that. They, they suspended Ramirez as well as uh, Brad Austin's the manager. But, but the thing even with that is, what did they suspend Ramirez? Three games. Marisnik got a two-game suspension for something that he didn't even do intentionally. Is still on appeal. I don't know. The whole thing just doesn't make sense. And even the way MLB came down on Ramirez and Osmus, to me, it just kind of says, eh, it's not that big a deal. Nothing's going to change until they, you know, suspend somebody for 10, 15 games for doing what Ramirez did. Nothing. 
Yeah, and with, and with a pitcher, you suspend somebody three games. That's not three starts or three appearances. That's three total games. It's a totally different deal than a player. So there's that to consider. But I, I just don't. I just didn't like the way the whole the Angels handled the entire thing. I mean, there's a difference between sending a message and then just trying to get even when it was clear Marisnik did not intentionally try to hurt Lucroy. Yeah, the whole uh, thing where you said the Astros are five and zero since the Marisnik deal. It, it reminds me of, uh, you know, I was listening to um, a broadcast. This is a long time ago, but it was Jack Buck and Mike Shannon doing the Cardinals game. And I forget who was up at the plate, but uh, he hadn't had a hit in a while. And there was a pitcher for uh, the other team. I, I think the, this is a Cardinals hitter. I'm trying to remember. But he, he uh, throws it up and in on the guy. And, I, and the guy might have gotten out of the way. But the next pitch, the guy gets a hit. And Jack Buck says to Mike Shannon, you can't kick a sleeping dog, man. <laughs> I can just picture. I can just. I used to love listening to Jack Buck. I might. Have, I might reverse that because I, now that I hear myself doing the accent, that was more the Shannon accent. But that sounds more like a Shannon. Yeah. yeah. But I'm not a Cardinals fan, but I love listening to those guys do the games. But you know, Jake Marisnik. The thing is, he got on base. He he uh, he got on. He stole a base. I'm sorry. Yeah, he got on base because he got hit. But he stole a base, so he got back at him, and he hit well in that series. You know, the fans booed him mercilessly and, you know, gave him such a hard time. And then he had that incident with nearly getting hit in the head. He just he just kept playing his game. And he actually played a very good series. So that's the way you get back at him. You just keep playing your game. And not only was Marisnik classy, a guy that's always classy out everywhere he goes, but was out classy again out in Anaheim was George Springer. There was a, a, a Astros fan that wrote, I think this this was written on Twitter, but she said, uh, hey, we, we live in Southern California and wanted to share a story about George Springer. My son just turned six. He's been managing a stutter for a few years now, never lets it get him down, but nonetheless doesn't know anyone else who has one. He's a big Astros fan, even though we're in Angels territory. Recently learned that George Springer stutters and does work with your organization. He's been genuinely excited to learn so, about someone like that, that stutters like he does too. So off we went two nights into the ro- in a row to the Astros Angels in Anaheim to try to meet George. Uh, tonight, he saw my son with his poster, came over and talked to him for several minutes, told him it's okay to stutter. He autographed a, a baseball card and took photos, then went back into the dugout and came back to give my son a pair of his batting gloves. Others were commenting, it was the... Others were commenting, I should say, it was the nicest signing they'd ever seen a player do. And I agree. Uh, she went on to say that Springer gained new fans tonight for sure. Definitely made a little boy's night. Thank you, George Springer. And uh, she also PS'd it with uh, her son slept in George Springer's batting gloves all night. Great story. How about that? Well, that's why I think, I think the Astros do need to make an effort to keep George Springer when the time comes because he not only helps you with his bat and his play in the field, but he's great in the clubhouse. The players love him. And, you know, he obviously had to overcome a situation like that. So he's basically, he he hasn't forgotten where he came from. So he's giving back to something that uh, affected him at one time. 
So yeah, that's that's absolutely a great story. You got any more Astros? The only thing else I had was uh, Altuve. We talked about his offense closer to what we expect this month. He's hitting up in the three hundreds, but three hundreds. But what happened to the defense? It's been like your, your toddler's diapers, just you know, very very stinky. <laughs> one play. What was it on Saturday where he tripped on a ground ball? He tripped, and by the time he got up, there was no way he could make a play. Uh, little things like that. Yeah, I've noticed it. It seems like his timing is off. I mean, he's running well and his bat has come back, but it, yeah, it just seems like his defensive timing is a bit off because that's just not the Altuve that we know. Yeah, he's throwing balls in the dugout and, you know, uh, in the stands. I mean, just, it's been very odd, but, you know, ho- hopefully this is just like a, a a blip. I mean, it's Altuve, but just, we, I'd like to see it improve. Anything else that you got? Well, you know, we were talking about trade rumors. The Astros uh, reportedly, not only are they looking for pitching, but they may be looking at help for the catcher position. The uh, Torrios and Stassi are both struggling at the plate. You know, they heard something about expressing interest in reacquiring Martin Maldonado, but of course he was traded to the Cubs earlier this week. I'm not sure the offensive numbers would improve much, but I guess they would. <laughs> he was, what, what is Stassi hitting like 165 and Torinos is hitting in the 220. So you're not, I don't know that you're going to get much better though, as far as backup catcher goes, if, if you try to make a deal now. Obviously, the, the primary target is pitching. Yeah, neither Torinos or Stasi are, are gold gloves. So when they, they struggle at the plate, it, it's very, very noticeable that, uh oh, and Torinos, you know, hitting 220. You know, his OPS still 777, which is unreal. I, I, I don't know, how, you know. If you could have expected him to have that sort of OPS with it, with 220 before the year started, but Stassi is he is what he is. I, you know, he's not really a good offensive catcher. He's at 159, his OPS whatever 441. It's bad. It's bad. And 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 you know they they, they can definitely get better in that area. Um, it'd be nice to have you know just one guy that's an option as a hitter in case you you want to use him later in the game. It's, the thing is with neither guy, can you go, Oh, I'm going to pinch hit for the other guy because he's a, he's a good hitter. And, and I guess that that's probably the most frustrating thing about those two guys. The thing that Maldonado brought you last year when they acquired him was his defense. Of course, in the postseason, he dropped a lot of pitches and didn't really, I don't know. He didn't seem to shine as much behind the plate then, but his bat isn't a whole lot better. Really man, certainly better than what it is now with the two we have. But since he's been traded to the Cubs, I, I don't, I don't see him as an option. Certainly not now. But it's something to keep an eye on that they may be looking for some catching help as a secondary need, depending on what happens with pitching. All right. Well, a couple last things. Everybody's been talking about the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. Interesting that the Astros actually did not have a game scheduled the day Apollo 11 landed on the moon, but there was a large celebration for Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, and Michael Collins. At the Astrodome, August 16th, 1969, about a month later. And I, I never heard this, Stephen, but Frank Sinatra performed, what else? Fly me to the moon for those three guys. <laughs> How about that? Love old blue eyes. Oh, man. Love to have been there for that one. And you know what? I, I got to say, I can't be more proud of the city that I was born right here in Houston, the place I call home. Uh, 50 years ago, thousands of Houston residents made the impossible, impossible happen. It's crazy to think, Stephen, that just 67 years after the Wright Brothers, Wright Brothers got us off the ground. We just got off the ground. We were 
not even flying 67 years earlier. And of course, this is 50 years after that. So just that tells you what a short time span that is. And there we, we sent three guys, you know, 238,000 miles away. And then we brought them safely home. And to think it was only eight years after Kennedy, President Kennedy, announced that man needed to go to the moon. You know, that, that I don't know, to me, that just doesn't sound like a long time. Talk about a space race. We raced to get it done. We got it done eight years after he made that speech or those remarks. And, you know, people knocked Houston for a lot of things. But I'll tell you what, that really put Houston on the map. And, hey, just think, the Astros are kind of part of that. You know, they were the Colt 45s and they became the Astros and all that with, you know, part of the moon landing. It kind of ties into the name. It's, it's really cool to think about. Yeah, the Astrodome and and that the, those re- actually in combination, I think, were the two big things. And you know, as I've listened to the specials on the moon landing, one thing that astronaut Michael Collins said that really struck me, and it, and it was just how it brought the whole world together for that one very special moment. And he said, "This is what's great." He said, "When he meets people from other countries, or when he met them, you know, afterwards after the moon landing, they didn't say congratulations." you Americans did it. They said, we did it. And, and, and that was really cool. When he said that, <laughs> yeah. I kind of got goosebumps because I thought, you know, that tells you exactly what it meant to everybody. And then, you know, we always go back. You mentioned the iconic Kennedy speech over at Rice Stadium. You typically hear the end of his infamous quote or infamous, just famous quote, I guess I should say about why we chose to go to the moon. But the beginning of it speaks right to the sports fan here in Houston. Let's hear that one more time. But why some say the moon? Why choose this as our goal? And they may well ask, why climb the highest mountain? Why 35 years ago fly the Atlantic? Why does Rice play Texas? We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Yeah, Stephen, I think he, he, he thought he would uh, wake the crowd up a little bit and get, get him going. He knew that li- line was going to come, so that's how to wake the crowd up is just uh, mention Rice and Texas playing. Hey, and they, they certainly did his homework, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's just part of a speech that, yeah, we, you don't really hear very often uh, as much as you do the end, but... It, it proved true. I mean, Kennedy was a visionary, certainly. And this was one time where uh, something that he had a dream for, it came true. And we're still talking about it 50 years later, as well we should. And you got to keep in mind, you know, you mentioned just how brief a time span it was from that speech to when we went to the moon. Just keep this in mind here. NASA had no rockets to launch astronauts to the moon when he made that speech. They had no spacesuits for astronauts to wear. None. They had nothing for them to put No, they up. started from scratch. They they literally did start from scratch with that whole program. No computers small enough for a spacecraft. Uh, and the Apollo computers, by the way, 33K of memory total was the the, the, the spaceship uh, was equipped with, which is, you know, it, it, that's like a, a small email these days. You know, th- I, I was going to say, I could probably put a couple of text documents in a 33K file. Bingo. A computer. Bingo. And, uh, 
let me just say this too, Stephen. I, I can't recommend that new PBS documentary, Chasing the Moon, enough. Uh, you'll see and hear footage you never knew existed, learn details you'd never heard, and you really get into the sacrifices and get to understanding the sacrifice not not just made by the astronauts, but by their families. I can't recommend of all the stuff that I've seen over the last few weeks that documentary, and it's it's a six hour one. But I'm telling you, once you start watching. You, you, you can't stop. It's, it's really, really good. Well, and I would say, you know, too, in wrapping things up is this is I just thought of this. This is a real parallel between sports and culture. You know, we work hard to attain a goal in sports. These guys worked hard to attain to get to the moon. And it, and it proves that if you persevere, if you if you really buckle down and you really believe in what you can do, then you can make the impossible happen. And, and this is way more important than any baseball or football game or Olympic gold medal that we'll ever win. Uh, this, this is true greatness in our history, in American history, really in world history, as you said. We did it, meaning humanity. I, I would say that marks like a good thing that the Texans can look at, except that uh, Bill O'Brien, I'm sorry. Yeah, they still have Bill O'Brien coaching them, so I, I don't know that you'll can really expect that anytime soon. Sorry about that. Yeah. What's, what's the old uh, line? Was it, uh, was it, I'm trying to remember who it was. If it was, was it Clinton or Bush or one of those guys back in the presidential race said, uh, you know, I, I've met, I've met John F. Kennedy. I got to know John F. Kennedy. Bill O'Brien, you know, John F. Kennedy. Was that, you know, John F. Kennedy. Is that right? That's the line, right? Yeah. And, and, and let me just tell you at my apartment, I'm looking at it right now. I've got two pictures that mean a lot to me. One of them is I've got a shot of Nolan Ryan. It's a black and white photo. It was uh, a, a photo with him and George Brett. Uh, George Brett's running from first to second in the background. I was at this particular game. It's Nolan's last year in the big leagues, five years, of course, before he gets into the Hall of Fame. Below that picture is a photo. It's a framed magazine of Neil Armstrong, a Life magazine that says "Off to the Moon." It's a special issue from July fourth, nineteen sixty nine, and my father somehow got this. And, and Neil Armstrong didn't sign autographs, uh, but uh, he got got me what you know he swears his friend was able to finagle an autograph of Neil Armstrong, and that's uh, wow. right there up on my wall frame. So. Really cool. And, and Stephen, before I close up, just, you know, I asked this question to Houston Sports Talk Twitter because uh, I'm sure everybody that's a Houston sports fan might have heard this week. If you listen to any sports radio about the the uh, ouster of Rich Lord, who'd been around for 24 years and he's been in Houston radio for much longer than that, probably three plus decades and I said, are, are you listening to less Houston sports radio now than in the past? And the poll results were 62% said, yes, they're, they're listening to less sports radio than, than in the past. The ones who said yes gave some of their reasons. Some said they were listening to podcasts and hopefully they're listening to us. Uh, exactly. Quick plug and tell your friends if you're enjoying it. But some of them complain there's too many commercials again. Um, you know, less than podcasts, it's a little bit easier. And then and some weren't happy about what, you know, the sport that they were talking about. You know, one particular station we know talks a little bit too much Texans probably and, and, and or the, the subject that they were talking about. But frankly, Stephen, 
you know, this is why I started this show six years ago. I mean, I, I felt like there was a void there. What did you say? 62%? 62% said they're listening to less sports radio that now. Yeah, I'm with them. I'm with them. And, and what I mentioned in the first show that you and I did together, Robert, I was in radio for over 30 years. Some of it in sports talk radio, some of it in news talk radio, most of it in music radio. But I, I don't even listen to as much sports talk radio, whether it's Houston or where I live here in Austin or anywhere, I listen to mostly podcasts. In fact, that's how I found your show, Robert, a few years ago. I was just doing a search on podcasts. I was looking for something. I still wanted to follow Houston sports. So I did a search for Houston sports on uh, the Apple podcast app. And that's how I came across yours. But yeah, my whole thing with podcasts is that you can listen to them when you want. They're usually a little more defined. I mean, there are some that probably go all over the road, but most of them pretty much kind of drill down to one topic or one sport that you're interested in. Because one of the things I've found in sports talk radio, they just kind of go all over the map. And they may talk on the same topic for 30 minutes, and then all of a sudden they start talking something that isn't even related to sports. So, yeah, I'm kind of with the 62% of listeners of why they don't listen to sports talk radio on mainstream radio. And we're going to weave in an occasional non-sports type thing, I'm sure. But, you know, I, I try to keep us a lot on topic because that, that, that was my frustration with sports radio these days. And when Stephen and I, we talked about this, when we were teenagers, we listened to sports radio, which, you know, I, I felt like I was the odd guy, the odd duck and in, in, in that. But I'm wondering if we have any teenage listeners, if you, if you are a teenage listener to us, send us a quick message. Uh, you can do it through Facebook, Twitter, our email info at HoustonSportsTalk.net. It's always available. If you ever have a question or a comment, we'd love to hear from you. It's in the show description um, of every single podcast. If you forget, it's info at HoustonSportsTalk.net. But uh, we always want to hear hear from you, especially like if you're a teenager, I, I would be interested because I, I don't, I'm kind of curious what our age range is right now. We don't have um, the, the demographics of, of age range, uh, got some other demographics, but not necessarily that. So that, th- that would be interesting. Um, got a couple of interesting guests coming up, uh, in the next uh, few days. Um, I, I definitely am going to have Galen white on again, and I've, I've had him on before. Uh, if you've listened for a long time, uh, does some great stuff writing about old time baseball. He's kind of classic baseball guy and he does a lot of stuff. Also with minor leagues, his latest book is called Left on Base. Um, and it's it's about, you know, the 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 best stories from the the Bush Leagues. It's it's called Left on Base in the Bush Leagues is the full title. And so I'm gonna have Galen White on in the next few days. So look for that. Also, uh either this week, later this week, or next week, Dale Robertson, who many of you remember. Well, if you know Houston Sports, you know Dale Robertson. He's just retired after 47 years writing for the Houston Post and Houston Chronicle over the years and uh, extraordinary career for him. Uh, he's doing a little bit of writing still with the Chronicle, but uh, not, not, not much sports anymore. And so we're going to sit down with him and, and uh, just kind of go through a, maybe a little bit of his career and some of the better stories that he's got. So uh, keep a, keep a lookout for those two and, and Steven and I, unless there's, something crazy, some emergency. We won't be back with you probably till a week from now next next Sunday. But thanks so much for, for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you again really soon. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk.
Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.